Look, at this point, you cannot turn on your phone or go on TV without seeing news about Hamas, Israel, all the tragic. Some of you have seen the video with the father walking around with his daughter in Palestine and, and all the stuff that's going on in Israel. And so many questions coming up. It was like, hey, how did Israel, some say the greatest air force in the world, how did you not know this was taking place? Don't you have the best intelligence in the world, Mossad? You mean to tell me for one year, Hamas built a city identical to the one that you have to prepare and train on how to attack but you didn't know that this was taking place? And why is Iran involved in this right after U.S. unfreezes $6 billion and then Iran's going out there chanting Magbat Amrika, Magbat Amrika? And then history-wise, who owned this land before? What happened pre-1948? Did Palestine own the land? And who owned it before Palestine owned the land? And all, are all Palestinians supporting of Hamas? Does Fatah support Hamas? Again, so many questions. We went out there and did research, sources, everybody on what's going on. Our team put a lot of time behind us. And we're going to talk a lot about this here today. And I can make you one guarantee. No matter what side you're on, there's going to be some parts you're going to disagree with. There's going to be some parts you're going to agree with. Here's what you know about me. You need to know about me. I'm an American, a proud American. I am a Christian. And I was born and raised in Iran. And I lived there for 10 years. So when I hear Magbat America, and when I hear all these different things that's going on, I'm not one that just watches the videos out there. I've lived some of these experiences. So I'm not leaning on propaganda. I'm sharing with you my, what my life experiences have been. Having said that, let's get right into it. Okay, so if you give value out of this video, give it a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. Let's get into it. If you look at this chart right here, this shows you what's happened to the land in Israel, Palestine over the years. So if you look at 1917, this entire land before the British mandate in Palestine, Jews made up around 6% of the total population. Then you go to 1948, war ends. Israel gets their land, 750,000 Palestinians are expelled, Zionist military forces these guys to go to different places, captured 78% of historic Palestine. Then you go to 1967, Israel occupies Gaza and the West Bank. Then you go to 95, the Oslo Accords, which the occupied West Bank was divided into three different areas. Area A, Palestinian control, Area B, joint Israeli and Palestine, and Area C, Israeli control, and under Trump, this plan would allow Israel to annex huge parts of the occupied West Bank and give Palestinians control of only 15% of historic Palestine. Okay, so now we take a look at the next one here. Here's mapping Israeli's occupation. So if you look at this, Israel all the way at the top, you see 5.8 million people, 1.6 million Palestinian citizens living together. You look to the right, you'll see Jerusalem, again, 349, 4,500 Palestinians, East Jerusalem, 220, 345,000 Palestinians. Then on the south, you'll see it says West Bank. It says West because it's west of Jordan River, so they call it the West Bank. You'll see 463,000 Israelis, 2.7 million Palestinians. But go all the way east, you'll see Gaza, 2.1 million Palestinians. You'll see zero Israelis, okay? So, so the one question that comes up is, is, do all Palestinians support what's going on with Hamas and what they're doing right now? Like, it's, there's no way in the world everybody can support what some of these guys from Hamas are doing with families, the rape, these stories you hear about. 58% of the Palestinian population in Gaza Strip do support what Hamas is doing, but only 42% those from West Bank support what Hamas is doing. So less at West Bank, obviously higher at Gaza Strip. 
So a few things to know about Hamas. Hamas is a Palestine political faction that controls the Gaza Strip, which, by the way, if you want to know how big it is, it's twice the size of D.C. It's roughly 141, 142 square miles, which has been under Israeli blockade, backed by Egypt since Hamas seized control of the coastal strip in 2007. The blockade restricts the imports of goods, including electronic and computer equipment, that could be used to make weapons and prevents most people from leaving the territory, according to New York Times. So, so at this point, we know that more than 2 million Palestinians live in Gaza Strip today, but the key factor is the following here. The tiny, crowded coastal city has nearly a 50% unemployment rate, and Gaza's living conditions, health systems, and infrastructure have all deteriorated under the blockade. Why? Because people are afraid of doing business with them. They, they feel like there's risk to do business with them. So the policies, the way they're running it, we'll even talk about the Hamas charter here in a minute when you see what they had before 1988 versus when they recently updated in 2017. People don't trust Hamas because most people look at Hamas and they think ISIS. There isn't a trust for Hamas and the way they've been doing things, even though they're trying to change. But by the way, they just hurt themselves this week when they say, we're no longer who we used to be. We're changing. We're this, we're that. And then boom. 900 Israelis, more than 900 Israelis you kill, and you think you're gaining credibility, that unemployment is about to go to the roof, even worse than what it is right now. So Israel says the blockade is necessary to stop the flow of arms into the territory, but Palestinians and aid groups say it is collective punishment and exacerbates dire economic and social conditions. So, so when you look at countries that recognize Palestine in 2023, it's 138 out of 193 UN members that do. That's roughly 71%. So 55 countries do not recognize Palestine in 2023. But if you look at Israel, Israel at the same time, it's 165 out of 193 countries and 28 countries don't recognize Israel. So now what happened? Hamas, the Palestinian military group that controls the Gaza Strip, launched a surprise attack on Israel. The attack was the largest in decades and caught the Israeli government, military and intelligence agencies by surprise. Israel immediately responded with airstrikes on Gaza, targeting centers at House Hamas militants. Israel also mobilized its military reservists and deployed troops to the Gaza border. And the number we keep hearing about is 300,000 reservists that they activated. So then Israel has pounded the Gaza Strip for third day in a row now and announced a total blockade of the already besieged Gaza Strip, including a ban on food and water. And the Israeli army just said that out of the 300,000 reservists they activated, 100,000 of the reserve troops have amassed near the fence with Gaza. So, so if you look at this here, they've been under the blockade, the Israeli air, land, and sea blockade. Now, obviously, that's a partial blockade they've had since 2007, and it's just full on now. So if you look at that red surrounding, that's how Gaza is surrounded by a heavily fortified perimeter. And now you got 100,000 soldiers that are lined up right there by the Gaza Strip. So you can only imagine how Palestinians are feeling in this area saying, wait a minute, we can't get food and water now. How long can we go like this? This is obviously a major concern for the people who live there. Now, at the same time, Israel has always been known for having the most incredible intelligence, Mossad. They've always, you know, in many different lists, they're recognized as possibly best. They were even trained by the CIA many years ago. However, there are many questions about the Israel government, military intelligence agencies. How were they taken by surprise by such an assault, which is without recent precedent in its complexity and scale? How? How does Mossad get caught this bad by Hamas? It's a very confusing thing that a lot of people are asking. So the initiation of rocket attacks, striking distant targets like Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, the role of Israel's Iron Dome missile 
defense system. And by the way, if you've seen the videos of the Iron Dome, how it prevents a lot of the you know, attacks to coming through, they built this roughly around 2006 when the, the, the Hezbollahs from Lebanon were attacking. They said, we got to put an Iron Dome. They did. Believe it or not, the investment was only a $210 million investment, and it's been able to protect the city. So the Iron Dome, how does it work? The technology determines if rockets are headed towards a populated area, and if they are, the Iron Dome is used to fire Tamir interceptors at the incoming projectiles. Rockets that don't pose a threat are allowed to fall into empty areas. So Hamas militants' infiltration into Israel, crossing by land, sea, and air, including the use of bulldozers, hang gliders, boats, and motorbikes. Again, this is first pitch battles on Israeli soil in decades. So the militants infiltrated 22 Israeli towns and army bases and took civilians and soldier hostages, many of whom they brought back to Gaza. But again, the question is, how? How did the Mossad, the CIA of Israel, that's considered one of the top agencies in the world, how did they allow this to happen? How did they not know? Now, this is the part that gets a little bit tricky. Israel and Egypt have had a very good working relationship together. Their borders, their neighbors, for 40 years. However, an Egyptian intelligence official said the Israeli government was warned about something big before the Hamas attacks. This is what the official from AP said. We have warned them an explosion of the situation is coming and very soon. Meanwhile, the office of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called this claim absolutely false. Again, this is a New York Post and a business insider story. So, so now the casualty reports, obviously one is too many, but this number is, this is the biggest since 50 years ago is what happened in Israel. The number of people killed at Gaza, at least 830, injured 4250, occupied West Bank, killed at least 19, injured at least 110, and in Israel, more than 900 killed, injured 2600, and 14 Americans, American citizens have been killed. So on Hamas side, they're trying to give their reasoning why they chose to attack. This is their reason. And here's what the leader said. The leader of Hamas military wing, Mohammed Daif, said the assault was in response to the 16-year blockade of Gaza. Israeli raids inside West Bank cities over the past year violence at Al-Aqsa, the disputed Jerusalem holy site, sacred to Jews as a Temple Mount, increasing attacks by settlers on Palestinians and the growth of settlements. And to be more specific, the motivating factors for the attacks, number one, Israel's occupation of the West Bank, number two, recent Israeli police raid on the Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem, number three, detention of thousands of Palestinians in Israeli jails, and number four, the contentious status of the Aqsa Mosque compound. When this happens, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, prime minister, comes out and says that Israel is at war after Hamas launched a devastating surprise attack on the country and vowed to exact an unprecedented price from the terror group. And, and many of these Israeli military reservists mobilized, and there is now speculation about a potential ground invasion of Gaza since tank units have been sent to the south. Here's some uh, places that uh, Israel airstrikes targeted. Uh, one, Israel's military said it had destroyed centers that housed Hamas militants. Two, Palestinian officials said that a hospital had been hit along with multi-story buildings, homes, and mosques. Three, Gaza Health Ministry in Gaza said that at least 400 plus Palestinians had been killed, most inside Israel and the rest in the enclave. So, so the one chart that's uh, being shared all over the place on social media is this one here, the historical context of the Israeli-Palestine conflict. The red represents how 
how many Palestinians have been killed in conflict-related deaths. And then the purple is Israel. Obviously, if you go back to 2008, look at the red versus purple, then 2009, and it continues and go to 2014, where this was a 50-day war in 2014 sparked by the kidnapping of three Israeli teenagers, ended in the deaths of 73 Israelis and more than 2,000 Palestinians, most of them civilians, for Israel seeking vengeance. And then today, more people in Israel have died in this conflict than in any year in decades. And these numbers are just starting to grow. Potentially, within a week, if this thing continues, both the purple and the red could cross what the numbers were in 2014. Meaning, what this really shows, there is no peace. They're having a hard time coexisting. And it doesn't show things are getting better. It actually shows things are getting worse based on this chart. So the uniqueness of this attack, here's what an article in New York Times says. It says, the issue came after months of profound anxiety about the cohesion of Israeli society and the readiness of its military, a crisis prompted by the far right, keyword, far right, New York Times says, far right government's effort to reduce the judiciary's power. And the New York Times article continues, the attacks also came on the holiday of the Simchat Torah and nearly 50 years to the day since the Israeli authorities were caught off guard when invading forces from Egypt and Syria set off the start of the Yom Kippur War. The the part that got interesting is when all of a sudden Wall Street Journal wrote an article talking about how Iran was involved with plotting the attack on Israel. And if you look at this article here, Iran has long been a supporter of Hamas and Hezbollah, two Palestinian Lebanese militant groups that are designated as terrorist organization by the United States and Israel. Think about Hezbollah and Hamas. Just think ISIS. Okay, if you know ISIS... Hezbollah, Hamas, similar mindsets. Iran has been setting aside other regional conflicts, such as its open feud with Saudi Arabia and Yemen, to focus on coordinating, financing, and arming militias antagonistic to Israel. Now, here's where it gets a little bit interesting. You know the $6 billion that U.S. you know, unfreeze to give to Iran in exchange to a political prisoner? Do you know when that report, the news was reported to the rest of us? It was on 9-11, which is kind of weird, right? It's roughly a month ago when this happens. Then former Speaker Kevin McCarthy is calling on President Biden to refreeze the $6 billion in Iranian funds in the wake of the recent attacks on Israel by Hamas. We're thinking, yeah, let's work with these guys and let's give them the $6 billion and give us the political prisoners. Everything's going to be great. Then you see them in the parliament, you know, in Iran. Mad, bad, call. Death upon America. After we just gave you the $6 billion, Kind of weird, the timing of this whole thing. But let's continue here. In a lengthy address laying out a five-step plan to address the escalating conflict in Israel, McCarthy took aim at Biden administration for its prisoner swap with Iran and his decision to unfree $6 billion in frozen Iranian funds in exchange for freedom of five wrongfully detained American citizens. $6 billion for five unwrongfully arrests on U.S. citizens. So so here's what a lot of people are saying. The $6 billion has become a rallying cry. Again, this is the hill for critics of the Biden administration in the wake of attack on Israel. Many Republicans say that the move freed up resources for Iran's military spending and support of terrorism. Then the next thing, you know, Secretary Anthony Blinken came out pushing back saying no. You know, all the Iranian criticism, he emphasized that not a single dollar has been spent from the funds that have been unfrozen for the prisoner swap. Blinken reiterated that the funds were to be used only for food, medicine, and other humanitarian goods. Now, obviously, a lot of people don't believe this. And and here's where the news comes from WSJ, Wall Street Journal. Iranian security officials helped Hamas plan the attack on Israel and gave the green light for the assault at a meeting in Beirut just 
last Monday. Even officers of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, IRGC, have worked with Hamas since August to devise the air, land, and sea incursions. So, what do you think Iran does? You think Iran comes out and says they were part of it? You think they're denying it? Well, the article continues and says Iran has denied any involvement in the attack, but there's a growing consensus amongst experts that Iran played a significant role in planning and executing the attack. And evidence of Iran's involvement includes the meeting in Beirut, the fact that the attack was coordinated with other Iran-backed militant groups, and the use of sophisticated weapons and tactics that are beyond Hamas's capabilities. So Iran's backing of a coordinated group of Arab militias is ominous for Israel. And on top of that, in the past, in previous conflicts, the Soviet Union was the ultimate patron of Israel's Arab enemies and was always able to pressure them to reach some type of accommodation or recognize a red line. So, so obviously this is a little bit concerning because down the street from here, literally half a mile away from here, there was protesting, literally in the middle of a street, okay? Hundreds of people out here protesting across the country. Some people are worried, is this going to impact people in America? Is it safe? Is this the time to kind of not feel that safe going out with your family and your kids? Are they going to calm this thing down? It doesn't look like it is. One side is saying, if you keep bombing us, this is what Hamas is saying, we're going to have to kill each hostage and we're going to show it. On the internet, so people can see that. Just think about like a statement like that being made. And Israel saying, look, you know, we're not negotiating with terrorists. And on the, the Israel side, there's two sides. One side saying, look, the left, the liberals are saying, hey, find a way to negotiate. The other side's like, we're not going to negotiate with terrorists. These guys are saying they're going to kill your kids. And you want us to sit there and negotiate? You believe these guys? You believe it? Whether we say anything or not, they're not going to do it. Now, again, whichever side you lean on, that's what's being done today. So how is America and Saudi and others looking at this? And do people, people trust that actually uh, a peace will be able to be, uh, come a reality here? We don't know yet, but here's what happened. There's been international reactions, including President Biden's support for Israel. Arab nations, including Saudi Arabia, are calling for de-escalation, but avoid blaming Hamas. They're, they're still being supportive of Hamas. They're not blaming Hamas. They're just saying, we want this thing to be done, and we are making a lot of progress with Israel. But we just, we just want to make sure everything's going to be good with everybody. So, so this is kind of tricky because, you know, Biden uh, just recently, his top aides were trying to push Saudi Arabia to normalize diplomatic relations with Israel. Yet Saudi Arabia has never recognized a Jewish state out of solidarity with Palestinians, but had seemed ready to change its policy. You think this event's going to help Saudi be even more comfortable to want to do it now? Or you think they're going to say, whoa, 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 we got to back off this one here. This is not a good look with us and Hamas and our relationships there. So the question, can it get worse? Well, uh, the risk of a wider regional conflict involving Hezbollah, this is New York Times article, the Lebanese Shiite militant organization that fought a war with Israel in 2006. This is Hezbollah coming from uh, uh, Lebanon. This will be on the northern side. In a statement, Hezbollah said it was closely following the important developments in the Palestinian situation with great interest. What that means, no one knows. They're speaking sign language. So now United Nations that is trying to play a role of a peace, you know, let's de-escalate, let's not, this is their assessment of what they're thinking is going on. United Nations peacekeeping forces in southern Lebanon said that the situation on the Lebanese-Israeli border was volatile but stable after Hezbollah and Israeli exchanged artillery and rocket fire earlier in the day. Volatile but stable? Really? I mean, you either believe UN or you don't, but here's the reality of it. If you look at the charter, Hamas charter, that they had in 1988. They just updated it in 2017 and kind of cleaned it up six years ago. But the one thing everybody talks about is what is your core beliefs? What do you really believe in? You can read the entire chart. It's not hard to find on the internet. 
But there's a couple things in there that's important for you to look at, and here's what it is. Pretty much the premise of the document, that's 36 article, can be summarized as falling within the four main themes. Number one, the complete destruction of Israel. This is, again, Hamas. The complete destruction of Israel as an essential condition for the liberation of Palestine and the establishment of a theocratic state based on Islamic law, Sharia law. This is in their charter, 1988. Not too long ago, just roughly 35 years ago, is what they said. Number two, the need for both unrestrained and unceasing holy war, jihad, to attain the above objective. Again, to annihilate Israel pretty much off the face of the planet. Number three, the deliberate disdain for and dismissal of any negotiated resolution or political settlements of Jewish and Muslim claims to the Holy Land, and number four, the reinforcement of historical anti-Semitic tropes and calumnies married to sinister conspiracy theories. So now here's what's interesting. That article I just read you was from The Atlantic, and the title of The Atlantic says, when Hamas tells you who they are, believe them. So, some people may say, wait a minute, does Israel sit there and say, let's eliminate Palestine, Palestinians, and Hamas off the face of the earth? You've never heard Israel say that. By the way, Israel could if they wanted to. They have one of the strongest militaries. They're not doing that. Why are they not doing that? Maybe that's not, you know, part of what they want to do. But for Hamas, they're not even, you know, sitting there trying to hide it. Here's who we are. Here's what we want to do. Here's what we're going after. Having said that, there's also a group of people that are saying, maybe Israel allowed for a part of this to happen so the world would back them up to go destroy and annihilate Hamas, all of the, you know, Gaza Strip, all of that, because now people like Nikki Haley are saying, go get them, go do this, the the rhinos or the establishment and Lindsey Graham and, you know, all these guys, yeah, we should get, Iran's getting involved, let's go after Iran. There's a lot of Iranians that are saying, you know, the, the civilians are saying, no, 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 we don't have a problem, this is not us, this is our government that's doing this. Anyways. The tipping point of how ugly this thing could get, it could get very, very ugly um, in many ways. So uh, when you take a deeper dive and you see what the history of it is, now you kind of have an idea what the event's been taking place and a bit of the history. Obviously, we can go into this for hours, but this gives you a bit of an idea on what's going on there. Tragic, heartbreaking. As a kid, I lived there. I posted a picture the other day online of my sister and I when I was six years old, seven years old. And my sister texts this to me. And she says, do you look at this picture? Do you see what I see? I'm like, no, I don't. She says, look at the windows. I'm like, wow. I always tell the story of how my dad used to tape the windows in Iran. So when we would get bombed, the glass wouldn't shatter all over us. But finally, we have a picture. My sister texted it to me yesterday to show it that highlights what it was like as a kid living in Iran when war was going on between Iran and Iraq, and we were driving the freeways, you're like, that's the house I used to play, that's the park I used to play. Explosion everywhere. It's extremely scary. I don't pray it on anybody, including my enemy, but, um, you know, very weird. First we have Ukraine, Russia, then we have the way we left Afghanistan, then we have Hamas using the weapons that we left in Afghanistan to use to go attack Israelis. Very wild, tragic what's going on. That's the update for now. Um, If you want to go a little bit deeper on this, we had Roseanne Barr. If you know Roseanne Barr, the comedian, she was on the podcast uh, recently, and we got deeper into this topic. She gave her perspective. If you want to watch more on this topic, 
click here to watch that video. Having said that, um, take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye.